call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode five of Call It Friendo with myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Danica Tiernan. In this episode, we discuss the critically acclaimed 1953 Henri-Georges Clouseau action film Wages of Fear and its 1977 William Friedkin-directed American remake Sorcerer. If you want to find out where to catch these films online, take a look at JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your country. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for both films right from the start. Okay, so let's talk about the first film, The Wages of Fear. This is a 1953 thriller film directed by Henri-Georges Clouseau, starring Yves Montand and based on the 1950 French novel Le Salaire de la Peur by Georges Arnaud. To give a, a very basic synopsis of the film, when an oil well owned by an American company catches fire, the company hires four European men down on their luck to drive two trucks over mountain dirt roads loaded with nitroglycerin needed to extinguish the flames. The film brought Clouseau international fame, winning both the Golden Bear and the Palm Door in 1953. So you had never seen this film before? Uh, no, I had. I, I recall seeing it once when it, when I was younger, and I, I, I've seen Sorcerer a few times. One, mm. one time, very recently, and watching it very recently, I realized I, I just the the scene in this when they're blowing up the boulder. I just ha- had a very frank recollection of that, and I realized I had seen it when I was younger, much much yo- younger. But uh, and opted yes, and maybe I'd like to see this again. The only thing I. I'd ever seen of this film was the ending. I'd seen the last 30 seconds for some reason. With the Blue Danube? The very end. Oh, I had so seen. the crash? Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers from right from the start, as we Spoilers suggested. right from the start. It, should, be in a, it mm-hmm. should have been in the introduction. And it is. Well, let's go right uh, from yeah, the start. Yeah, I'd, I'd seen the crash. Okay, uh, so this, the start of this film follows French cinematic law, the requirements passed down by the French government that all films must include uh, a shot of a naked child. Yeah, small child's willy. We have to see a a boy's penis specifically. And of course, uh, the filmmakers didn't want to make the government unhappy, so as is the tradition, they found a a young boy... And told it's, him to get his knob out. This is this is gas because we, um, you, I've mentioned on this podcast before that I I love uh, seeing films of small boys' penises and uh, films from back in the day where they give you the location proper. And uh, right. I thought to you myself because I hadn't seen this in so long. Around. I was, I, but I know it's it's very highly renowned and and with good with, with good reason. So I was like, how are they going to sell the shithole? aspect of of this storyline because it, it like part, a fundamental part of it is Oof. the the setting is such a shithole that the boys just have to get out of it they're willing to risk their lives entirely to just get out of this yeah. place and the way they do it is by cockroaches which is an opening that would later be, be taken on by um a Sam and, and the wild bunch and a little boy's cock a little boy wearing a vest and no pants and that was it that's it that's their effort at selling the shithole there's other things as well i suppose i mean the way linda gets treated <laughs> Uh, says something about 
I don't know, just the the moral standing of the place we're in. It's interesting because we've recently watched a film from the same time period from the US, but uh, The Killing, what was that, 1957 or 1956? 58, I I think. I can't recall, 58. The difference in what these two films show of culture at that time is immense or what they're willing to what they're willing to show go on what do you mean that this this film has nudity linda is a highly sexualized character she's almost Mm -hmm. whipping her tits out you do have naked ladies as well Mm -hmm. Uh, you do swearing there's a lot of swearing throughout it's in foreign it's in french and but there's a lot of see i wouldn't have even picked up on that were you paying attention to what people were saying or just reading i was reading what people were saying what what did i don't even know what said in the subtitles did it say darn no you'd get shit but i suppose i wouldn't have even get like take a note of the fact that there was a Swear words being mind, used. What, just the swearing? Yeah, yeah. Well, everything. It blew my mind that in 1953, there was nudity, swearing, sexualized characters. Yeah, well, particularly with Linda. I mean, she is just getting, uh, she's getting used every which way by uh, by yeah. um, uh, Mario <laughs> and Hernandez. And yeah, I mean, it's 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 really not great. Well, actually, we'll, we'll, we'll get the worst time of it. Well, I mean, ridiculous. yeah. So, I mean, th- right. Here's the thing. With, with with this film is yeah distinct parts one of them is all set up just explaining all the elements and then the elements are inserted into a pressurized situation uh, so that goes by character and we'll go through all the characters um, yeah, so but uh, me... before we even do mm-hmm. i would just like to say that yeah the one we've just mentioned like linda is an offensively pathetic character i would say she's also super sexy and yes is the, was the director's wife yes who died uh, at the age of 47 of a heart attack that, breaking yeah, clues all heart. Yeah. yeah 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 a crazy story very sad right, so the, f- the first the first hour of this film is just build up yeah. It's just explaining how hopeless the town is, the situation that these guys are trapped in. You're in we're introduced, first character that we're really introduced to is uh, Mario, I think, yeah. Mm, a so bogart lookalike. Yeah, with the the lowest cut t-shirt that you can imagine. It's <laughs> just above his nipples. And he's wearing a scarf. A neckerchief. He, well, whatever you want to call it. He's it's, a nice it's a neckerchief. It's called a neckerchief. Neck. Okay, it's called a neckerchief. Fine. I've uh, never worn a neckerchief and I don't plan to, but it suits Mario. Yeah, Mario enough. is uh, described as a Corsican playboy, which is everything I want to be. <laughs> Do you feel, I, I feel like watching it that, is it maybe applied he ran away from the war? I guess this is 1953. How much of the origin of the story do you know? Of the actual... Mm, of the wages of, of the Le Salaire de, de la Perre. What, the book? Renault. The book and everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know very little. Do you know more? Oh, okay. The the author's life is another crazy life story. Oh, talk me through. So he's called... His name was Henri Girard. That's his real name. Uh, huh. Georges Arnaud is a pen name, a nom de plume. Okay. During the Second World War, when he was in his early 30s, on the night of the 24th of October, 1941, his father, aunt, and a servant were murdered in the family castle. Huh. 
Henri Girard was the only survivor, and he raised the alarm the following morning with the castle staff. The circumstances of the murder were really mysterious, so he was arrested, charged, and imprisoned, and spent 19 months in prison, where... For maybe murdering war, his dad. Mm-hmm, and aunt, and servant. And so oh, yeah, he spent yeah. 19... He spent 19 months in prison waiting for trial. And it was because it was during the Second World War, he was neglected and left to starve and freeze. Jesus Christ. Okay. His Mm -hmm. trial began on the 27th of May, 1943, and finished on the 2nd of June, where he was acquitted on all charges. (laughs) After spending 19 months in jail, starving to death. Then just five days of a trial. (laughs) Yeah, a five-day trial, and they're like, well, it's obvious. It wasn't you, you didn't do it, clearly. (laughs) And when did he get get around to writing? Okay, this is the next part. In 1943, he moves to Paris. He marries a young singer called Suzanne Grach. I think is the correct pronunciation. He wrote, he wrote songs for her, and then some of his songs were performed by Edith Piaf. No, you don't get the end. Wow, fucking hell, that's perfect. She's here. She's in the room, folks. Yert. After this, in 1947, he becomes disgusted with man's fascination with money. He spent all of his family inheritance and uh, gave it away. He ended up in debt, so he left to go to South America for three years. He okay. spends three years. He spends three years in South America transporting nitro, nitroglycerin or something, apparently. And what? Then, okay, so know, this I, he spent three years in South America doing whatever, doing these type of dirty jobs. And then in 1950, he went back Jesus. to France. And then he published. And then Wages he wrote the book. Yeah. So, I mean, these are all plucked from his own experiences, essentially. Yeah, he had an incredibly hard life. I mean, like, hard is one way to put it. But, I mean, he sounds like he was, I don't know, a bit of a raconteur, a bit of a renaissance man, you know, tramping around the place. A bit like Mario, you know? I mean, maybe, mm. hopefully less of a dick than Mario. Mario's just, Mario is a fucking dick. Yeah. <laughs> Are we supposed to like, like Mario? Mario? Really? Yeah, you like him? Ah, oh, God. Damn, I thought, maybe, is this, is this how French heroes were back then? <laughs> like, is it... <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, he's Corsican, isn't he? He's kind of Italian, he's French. He, he speaks Italian, French, Spanish, and English. Right. That's but quite impressive. Getting back to my now, my, my he, question. He is a hero. Is, is he supposed to have buggered off from the war, though? Is that, that, is that part of his character makeup? I guess so, but he's... F- has he been there that long? Well, are, are we assuming that this is set in 19... 19- well, 50 or there's dots you can join 50. together because like a heap of italians headed to south america both before like before during and after the war he uh, is french uh, so i know he, i know he's french. french i know he's called mario but still but luigi his maid i'm, I'm referring to <laughs> mario and luigi mario and luigi yeah <laughs> did they take it from here i hope i was that was obviously my takeaway as well i thought yeah yeah yeah. They wow must have. i didn't realize the the power of wages of fear it's uh, affected gaming history but there you go there's mario anyway he's a so he's a french uh, humphrey bogart look-alike who might have fred with a neckerchief and an incredibly low-cut t-shirt yes indeed a hot piece of ass he basically Mm. like he might have fled the war seems like he basically uses linda for sex and cigarettes okay that part's pretty cool and luigi for pasta and laundry and he wants to go home 
and keeps a metro Luigi, ticket. Yeah, so Mario's living with Luigi, obviously, because Mario <laughs> obviously, lives with Luigi, as we know. We don't even need to explain that. Mario lives with Luigi. Clearly, and Luigi is, is the soundest man in the world. He is so earnest. <laughs> he is... He's just dead on, man. I love that scene where... Okay, so I'll explain this scene before explaining Joe, but hmm. Mario and Joe, a character who we haven't met yet, they're walking along while Luigi's working on a building site. <laughs> and then Mario's just looking over and then Luigi starts waving at him, going like, Ooh, Mario, it's me, <laughs> your roommate. I'm over here. <laughs> he's, just, he's just a big bumbling... I don't know, Homer Simpson or something. What are you talking about? Mario's, the, like, for me, Mario's the no, hero. No, I'm talking about Luigi. No, not sorry, Mario. yeah, for me, Luigi's the hero. I like, I, I love Luigi. Luigi is clearly sound. He's sound as a pound. He's definitely a nice guy. I'm not trying to take that away from him. Yeah, he's a sound old skin. Um, like, and his being there is realistic. Uh, him, <laughs> obviously, all Italians. I mean, the stereotype came from somewhere. All Italians must have been like that at some point. I suppose so. And then I they, will report back and <laughs> see how yeah, many Luigi's I encounter here. They eventually all became like Mario. Then, so, so they lost something in the post-war years, is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like during the war, all the like you know, tubby, uh, tubby, um, you know, well-meaning fellas went off to South America, and you were just left with the leather-wearing cunts. Um, I'm not going to say that about this wonderful country where I reside. By the way, listeners of the podcast, I live in Italy now, so... Oh, yes, yes, indeed you do. Yeah, would you, yeah, yeah. God, man, we're so cosmopolitan and people just can't keep up with us. Yep. Who we got? The next character introduction. So far, we, well, we've introduced mm. Mario and Luigi. Next, we've got Yoshi, who is a green dinosaur. Okay, next character. <laughs> <laughs> the next character that's introduced. All of this takes place in a bar. All the early scenes take place in a, in a bar owned by a guy called Hernandez. Linda is... His barmaid slash sadomasochistic house sex person. I don't even know what she, what is their relationship. Yeah, is, she's a, she she's his house sex person. What's prostitute? What's going know. on? I don't. That even is understand. what that is uh, one thing that does that that does clearly sign out. Like this isn't like you know. Um, this isn't uh, Christopher Columbus using the natives. Linda is an imported French lady that they have somehow convinced she's from this country. It's, mm. Wait, she in the film she's speaking Spanish. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. clearly not a native Spanish speaker. Her accent is Brazilian, which is not surprising because she's Brazilian. The, the, act, actress. the actress is Brazilian, yeah, yeah, yeah. so her accent is definitely that's what it sounds like. Brazilian Spanish, yeah, Portuguese so, Spanish, uh, basically. To bring up again, yeah, I think that I felt like yeah, played by uh, Clouseau's wife Vera. Um, mm. and, uh, yeah, that's just, uh, she just gets a, t- this character gets a terrible time of it throughout the film. She is an offensively pathetic character. Like she gets nothing but mistreated and just still fawns after Mario. The other people that we see, are, we see a ton of people around this bar. There's. Oh yeah. Uh, the lads who all work for the, uh, for the oil company. Bimba, of yeah, course, so the, the, oil the, the most visually SOC, German man to ever exist. Oil company, and it's run. Yeah, yeah. Well, apart from Bimba, so the SOC oil company is run by this American guy. Bill O'Brien. It's called Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien. And we see a little bit of, of what's going on with that. But clearly, there are a lot of people in town who are working for SOC. 
to try and exist in this shithole South American, Central American, wherever bumblefuck town. Yeah, it's like the, the approach they mm-hmm. take to South America is like, like, did you ever see the film um, The Great McGinty? No. Well, it opens. Yeah, it, up- <laughs> by the way, every single episode of this is you have you saying, "Have you ever seen blah blah blah?" <laughs> me going, "No." No, but you do give me a nice considered pause every time before you say it. Fucking uh, <laughs> in the Great McGinty, it opens and it's just explained. To you. <laughs> it shows you this guy stranded much like at the start of the wages of fears like but the 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 subtitle reads in a central american banana republic so like oh, yeah. just just g- yeah just generic banana republic is the way they would call it anyway it um, seems like a nice place yeah exactly yeah 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 go on anyway to our lead character and his dickish so, moves into bob o'brien and guy- all them who's introduced is a very important character by the name of Joe. Yes. He arrives by plane, bribes the border official uh, to get into town, comes into town in a taxi, meets Mario. Mario tells him to come to the bar because Joe is also a Frenchman, the same as Mario. So they start speaking about Paris. Ah, but not and quite. About France. Well, like, and this is relevant, Mario's Corsican. That's true. He's not France-French. Yeah, and it, close enough. like, I mean, okay, so their relationship kind of, it equates to, it's something like sort of an anti-nationalism. This is all played out in the second half of the movie, this part of it. But first of all, so before he meets Joe, Mario, I suppose, could be considered halfway to tolerable. But then, I don't know, Joe is just like when your mate gets a new shitty girlfriend or something. Do you know what I mean? That's true. But for me, the key to everything about this relationship and how the film develops is that Joe is introduced as a complete badass. He's a former gangster. He has some kind of relationship with Bill O'Brien, the head of the SOC company. It's clear that he's been up to no good in the past. And when he arrives in the film, he seems to be, he's this big shot. He's, he's got a lot going on. He seems to know what he's doing. He's driving Mario. And as you say, he's a bad influence on Mario, but over the yeah. course of the film, it's, it's crazy how things uh, reverse or fall apart there. Yeah, as like as a character, he's kind of equated with the um, him and Bill O'Brien seem to be a similar I don't know type of gangster, just in different guises. Uh, I was thinking when I was watching is like because there was actually in the American edit of this, I think there was about a half an hour taken out due to apparently um, egregious anti-American sentiment, and I wonder would the equating of Bill O'Brien with Joe be something to do with that? Yeah. It all reminded Quite me very possibly. much of, uh, if you've yeah. ever, uh, you ever heard read this book, Confessions of an Economic no. Hitman? <laughs> no. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Well, yeah, it's a, a fellow who claims to have worked in um, Latin America in the 50s and 60s, basically t- touting around oil companies, but on the, like, on the behest, at the behest of the CIA in order to pump jobs into these economies, but then have them all lean on American loans to provide infrastructures to support the industries. Uh, it's just like pure, pure gangsterism. Um, and they did end up involving an awful lot of organized uh, crime in the whole process. So maybe like, because as well, you you gotta, you gotta remember, like, I mean, at the time that this came out would have been at the height of McCarthyism, you know? Um, right. So there would, there would have been no time for any anti-American se- uh, sentiment. Mm. Oh yeah. That's an important point. Certainly. 
Yeah, because yeah, because they did they they cut out about they cut out about half an hour of it. Which I mean, okay, this film is it's a long one, like, but I can't imagine it lose losing. How long was the version that you watched? Did you watch the hundred and forty eight international? Yeah, I, I could only I could only find the hundred and forty eight minute. Yeah, me version. too. Because apparently there's a five there's five minutes extra mm. in the original French theatrical cut. Well, if the, I have the, no I, idea where to get that. Yeah, and I don't I like the film. Right. Seems to make perfect sense without them. I can't yeah. imagine it making. I can't imagine where you would cut a half an hour out of it and still have it make sense. But anyway, that would be bad. But an extra yeah. five minutes, maybe at the end. So we've, there's a five minute monologue. When does that would be ju- nice. That would be uh, just somebody explaining to you exactly what's <laughs> happening and what you're supposed to think. Um, yeah. Who did, so? Narration, how, do we kind of get to see Joe's colors a little bit in the bar with the music? isn't it is that that that's because he whips out a pistol so he's Joe's be- a bit of a, a hard ass again joe comes between mario and luigi i can't <laughs> talk about mario and luigi it's impossible so mario lives with luigi as we know obviously, <laughs> in a pipe that they go down every day because they're plumbers and then mario invites joe into his house and gives Joe a pair of Luigi's trousers. Which is a dick move. Yeah, because trousers in this small t- shithole town are like gold. I yeah, think. and these, yeah, <laughs> Clean well, trousers. from the opening shot of the movie where we've got a little boy in a vest yeah. with no fucking pants. Uh, Everyone has a vest. No one's worried about vests, but yeah. penis coverings <laughs> are in short supply <laughs> and that's why we see luigi's cock for the rest of the movie <laughs> <laughs> those are my only trousers <laughs> luigi just arrives back to the apartment not wearing pants so, okay hey, now i have to say i have to say that was not in my i did not watch that version of the film i think you saw a very specific cut the, the, the one that you wanted to see <laughs> in your brain oh god i think that you didn't even a... you didn't even turn the film you just turned the film off and just filled in the rest in your head yeah, i do, pretty much for me the film was luigi chasing after joe as joe wore two pairs of pants <laughs> yeah that's correct um yeah it isn't and like they're they're lovely white pants and everything and uh mario's just mario like this is the thing like i can't believe i I, I can't believe because i i've read a little bit about like yeah where where the film is supposed to be going and i think every single one of these characters with the exception of maybe luigi is just flawed from the start i think that's something that's shared by both of the films and i think it's an important aspect of why anyone is in this situation yeah for sure these are not good guys (laughs) even fallen on hard times really maybe luigi you know what what the hell is luigi even doing there being an italian guy who went to latin america seems to be he's just so nice (laughs) he is yeah he buys everyone champagne what's that about it's like he's celebrating so that's how this whole fight or standoff Ah, yes that's right is luigi goes into the bar and Turns on the music, orders champagne for himself and some of the guys. Joe's a bit pissed off and wants to get served first. Tries to cut ahead of Luigi and then Luigi turns on music and then Joe turns it off. And then Louis, he kind of squares up to Luigi, wants to get Luigi to... Or Luigi's going to... Sm- 
Okay, before that, Joe takes the champagne that Luigi has ordered mm. and shakes it up and then sprays Luigi and his friends. Luigi takes the champagne bottle and he is considering smashing it over Joe's head. Mm. But then Joe pulls out a gun, threatens Luigi, then gives the gun to Luigi and says, like, are you man enough to shoot me? Yeah. Which is why we are led to believe that Joe is a crazy, crazy badass. Yeah, that Joe is a... And Luigi is a, Luigi is a coward. Yeah, I mean, I don't get like the, like get that energy from it entirely, but I do think like like immediately this is this. I think Mario reveals himself even more because Mario is just totally impressed by this. It seems. Mm. Yeah. The, the, then basically we've got our setup. I mean, at this point, it couldn't go either way into the pressurized scenario it goes, or we could just have a, a six episode uh, sitcom set in a shithole Latin American town. <laughs> Hernandez's. With all of these guys bopping playfully against each other. God, wouldn't that be great? Cheers based in a banana republic. That's exactly what I was thinking. And then everyone shagging Linda every week. Different person. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, and then eventually Great Linda times. develops uh, real feelings for who? I don't know. Hmm, Who cares? Know. And also syphilis. She develops that. Loads of syphilis. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, but then, uh, of course, the oil yes, well so, goes boom, boom. So this is the key episode, the key event that sets into motion the plots of both films. A big oil derrick explodes and there's no way to put out the flames. So the SOC... Southern Oil Company needs to transport a bunch of nitroglycerin. I'm not a scientist, but nitroglycerin, ni- nitroglycerin blows up. Do you blow up a fire? Do you, you put explosives on a fire? Well, no, you collapse, in the, you collapse in the dirt on top oh, that of that. Was, right. Is that right? That was never clear to me. I just thought they were going to like f- throw explosives. Just have the mad crack with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's how they do it in there will be blood. If you, that's up. how they collapse. Wait until we throw nitro on this. <laughs> right. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, that's true. Uh, yes, indeed. That, uh, that's what they so, do. So... The the SOC needs to round up some crazy drivers who are willing to drive a couple of trucks 500 kilometers or 300 miles. 300 miles. You, mm. Mm, you have a choice. Like, either <laughs> <way>. <laughs> That's what they tell them at the start. Much of it in completely straight lines. Either distance. Yeah, there's not a lot of zigzagging. It's funny that in Wages of Fear... The surface of the road. <laughs> the surface of the road is one of the biggest problems they have to overcome. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the that's the name of the game in this shit. It's you know, it, like they are rough. Those the, those trucks are are fairly awful looking. Yeah, I mean, they the need black... two people just to operate. Yeah, seems to be the way. And then they've got all these tools attached because you know you're expected to have to be you know uh, poking holes in boulders and shit like that. This is so like, like for me, it feels like, uh, and now I'm not going to make the mistake of asking you, have you seen it? Uh, but no. it's, it's like uh, in what we've done in the first half of this film with all the characters is, is akin to like in Seven Samurai when your man makes the map of the village. I have, because, yes, I've seen it. Ah, damn it. Uh, so he's just gui- like guiding you around the village just to kind of prepare you for exactly the ins and outs of 
how the action is going to work when it occurs. And You've that's also the whole... referenced this in a previous episode, but I don't know which one. Neither do I. Uh, you have the... referenced this already. Well, I mean, it's a famous film. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> that's uh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So, but what I'm saying is, is like you getting such detailed character studies for everybody involved is akin to that because like it's almost like they're preparing Mm. you for a bit of spiritual geology let's say they take all of these different characters and the way their different approaches and they're down on their luck and for whatever different reasons and then once you you've kind of gotten them all to know a little bit and how they each might react in certain situations then Mm. they put them in this pressurized situation and see how they react and the mad thing is about this pressurized situation is that um despite the fact that it seems like a desperate thing to be up to um a lot of boys in the town want to do it want the job so much so in fact that one fella kills himself in a shocking fucking move for a film of this era i thought yeah a man who is not allowed to be one of the drivers he's turned down for being a crap driver he chooses to hang himself outside hernandez's bar and is discovered by linda who screams and seems uh fairly traumatized unsurprisingly as more shit (laughs) rolls downhill and this this is her life essentially is a series of horrible events that she witnesses Horrible stuff. Yeah, she endure. can't even go out to a tree without seeing like a, a, a dead lad's feet dangling down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and they 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 do the that. It's obviously it's been in plenty of films before, and I can't think of it properly. Like even one example, but that thing where the camera is following her around, and then you can just see flick into the screen without her noticing the dead guy's feet, which is always a nice oh, yeah. shot tactic. Spoilers. Spoilers for Jojo Rabbit, but that's the first one that comes to my mind. So who gets paired up then in these trucks? So we have got Mario together with Joe, and Luigi is in the second truck with the German guy, Bimba. Bimba, oh yeah, yeah. Who, as you said, is a very taciturn gentleman who does not really give much away and he's uh, his father's been murdered by Nazis, even though he quite looks yeah, like... Yeah, he l- does definitely look like a Nazi, but apparently he was forced to work in a salt mine by the Nazis. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. And that, yeah, yeah, so he got murdered by them, which, yeah, seems like a, a, an odd choice to make because particularly in, you know, I mean, you're German, you're in South America at this time, you're fooling nobody. Sorry. You're fooling no one. Actually, I remember when I went to, when I was in Colombia, I spent about three weeks trying to make the same joke and no German ever laughed. And whenever <laughs> I met a German, I would always say, isn't it great that Germans can just come to South America these days and nobody asks any questions? And not didn't get a laugh. Didn't get a laugh all three weeks. <laughs> maybe that was, a th- maybe that's what Bimbo was trying to do. He was just really, really emphasizing to everyone. Yes. My father was definitely murdered by the Nazis, 100%. I'm not one my, myself, clearly. Obviously, I'm actually a victim of them, even though I definitely look like I am a Nazi. Yeah, so like years later when he's in his uh, 80s and encounters a Mossad agent, he goes, oh, just, just ask the people around here, my father was murdered by the Nazis, Mossad. And they're like, yeah, yeah you're, everyone knows that. you're Eichmann. Your name is Eichmann. Just ask Stop Hernandez. It. 
and Linda. Anyway, that <clears throat> pairing, by, like by contrast, this is why I'm saying it's kind of an anti-nationalist sentiment. That pairing, by contrast to the two French boys, it tends to work quite well. Uh, whereas the two boys who have spent the last half an hour in the movie alienating themselves from the diaspora community of um, shithole whatever country it's in uh, south of France as you say where it was shot yeah Nîmes it's just outside the the town of Nîmes Yeah, they they are fo- like to 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 they are fooling nobody with the locations. So it's like, I mean, they they can insert a child without pants all they want, and they have gotten some and they also will. also some rather rugged poetry when you visual poetry when you just see the oil well burning and you've got like an indigenous family standing there yeah. being told to clear off. Just get out, get out of here, guys. So, so yeah, you've got the two French boys, and it, they're it, like it, Joe is just instantly a pain in the ass. Yeah, he does not take to this job very well immediately, which is uh, after unusual seeming to have murdered a guy to get it. Yeah, he forces his way onto the team because originally they'd chosen this other German guy who definitely was a Nazi. Oh, he was a Nazi, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Smurf. He's a hundred percent a Nazi. He for sure. was intimidated, apparently. It seems that Joe intimidated Smurloff or... Well, we never see that guy alive again, do we? Because Smurloff doesn't appear. Yeah, well, but he doesn't appear mm. in the day. And then just Joe's there. So they're like, oh, we'll take him. No worries. Oh, but we do see him during Blue Danube at the end. Oh, okay. So he is still alive. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. at least Sorry. slightly nicer than uh, Sorcerer then. They start... On their trek, both of the pairs have trucks completely loaded with nitroglycerin. A lot of nitroglycerin. Mm. Box after box. <laughs> a lot of nitro in both trucks. And the journey is split into... There, there are three main set pieces on the journey. Because it starts off and they're just doing almost like speed <laughs> they have to stay over a certain speed well the first Otherwise, section of the of the of the journey of the journey is it could all it's 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 stagey it could almost be theater it's just them talking in cockpits really right yeah you can see that they're and not joe just wanted to stop <laughs> stop for sandwiches and smoke fags and drink coffee and stuff he's a <laughs> it nightmare does, it does feel a bit like father ted oh like it does yeah jesus Christ. Of father ted or well it's like mario must instantly being be going oh my god yeah I, that was all an act you're just a, you're what yeah. you're just an old fella because yeah. like <laughs> joe is just an instant he wants, to, he wants to stop and smoke yeah yeah, and yeah, yeah. He, Instantly pathetic, like. So the first section that they have to get through is just going over poorly paved roads. And it's not the most exciting. But then they move into three set pieces, which yeah. is probably the easiest way to Are all pretty good. define what happens in the film. So, yeah, the first one is they have to go up a kind of winding mountain road. And there is a wooden platform that looks like it's been built for mining purposes. And they have to reverse out over it. And Luigi and Bimba go over it first. No real problems, pretty easy. But they break some of the wooden planks while they're doing it. And then Joe and Mario come along and it is an absolute clusterfuck as usual. 
Uh, well, I don't know about as usual, but this is definitely like at this point already, Joe has just Joe has been no help. The other boys have overtaken them because Joe keeps mm-hmm. wanting to stop to pee and drink coffee. And then he doesn't like the coffee. <laughs> and and he's he, isn't, just, he isn't feeling well at yeah, one point as well. He's it's just like, being oh, a nightmare and he wants to give sick. up. He wants to give up like three or four times during the whole thing. And then actually, yeah, this is like honestly Mario must just be kicking himself for having broken up with Luigi at, at, at the at this fiasco at the wooden bridge so yeah they have to be reversing out onto it and at this point Mario has just had it and he is like saying we're going to the edge we are fucking going to the edge <laughs> and then there is a kind of a and while he's yeah while they're reversing Joe is behind uh, the truck helping uh, Mario to reverse and Mario reverses right to the very edge of this wooden platform and Joe falls off. <laughs> it's the first it's the first time where where Mario has almost killed Joe. And he <laughs> Well no, a, a kind of a piece of machinery falls off and smashes. Which it just right. goes there's there's like even back in the day, cinematically, there there's nothing better than watching a any, something smash after dropping on film it's great even that tiny thing yeah even in the 1950s as well they surprisingly yeah they they knew how to have good. fun back they, then too they smashed stuff yeah, yeah it did yeah smash stuff they just smash yeah and they physically built that wooden ramp as well like yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. Of physical I, I initially when, did you think joe was dead it wouldn't have surprised me but i thought what happened seemed I, I, okay, so Joe, it turns out, is okay, and we see him clambering up the rock face. He's just What's he away. doing? <laughs> He's kind of <laughs> extreme, What's extremely plan? pathetically scrambling away, going like, <laughs> and Mario's Leave me alone, Mario. Yeah, and Mario's shouting at him, telling him, like, get the fuck back here. Oh I my thought God, what's his point, plan at that, that point? point I thought he was just going to run away, and that was it. I thought that was maybe the last we were going to see of him, but he does decide to go back, to get back in the truck. And Mario, this is the first point where Mario is very pissed off. Yeah, Mario's just like this motherfucker. Because as well, I can understand it, because Mario has really kind of staked his reputation on this shit a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's me and Joe, me and Joe till the end. Me and Joe. And then Joe's just a fanny. I mean, yeah. it, it, that's that, that's got to that's got to hurt the pride a little that's bit. Hurt. Um, the Corsican pride, mm. mm-hmm. and you know the Corsicans so then, are a vengeful people as well. Well, I'm not going to say anything against them then. So the next thing that ha- the next set piece is they are driving along and they encounter a large boulder. I think it's who's who comes to that the first. Great big it's, boulder. It's, uh, Luigi and Bimba who who come there. And there's yeah, a they do. giant and boulder, and I believe it's Bimba who comes up. Who comes up with the idea to blow it up? Bimba, because then he gives Luigi the worst job, which is drilling a, a three foot hole in a rock with a metal mm. spear. Yeah, I don't know if drilling is even the word. <laughs> Smashing tapping. a hole. Yeah, tapping yeah. a hole in a rock. So Bimba which we see achieved through montage, uh, which be, mainly because it is impossible to do in real time. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure, but anyway. Yeah. So they uh, yeah, but Luigi just sets to the task like a good old plumber. In there. Yep. Luckily, yeah, yeah. he has his tools. It's a good shout. 
Yeah, yeah and then so, so Mario uh, Mario uh, arrives up behind him with Joe and Mario immediately sees <laughs> finally maybe I can be part of this team of real men and then he's just ordering uh, Joe around like he's, his just he, shitty he, little brother just, like, just get the nitroglycerin you <laughs> moron when he, when, he, when he turns up he immediately just shits on Joe in front of the others and is just like he's just like can you believe that I'm, I'm with this fucking idiot he's, and he's, he's buds with nice. uh, Luigi again almost instantly they connect up again straight away it's great yeah yeah, yeah and that's they, when so they, 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 they start their... to become friends again and form their future mm. Nintendo bond and the, yeah, and Joe so, is again quite pathetic throughout this sequence, but he does carry a bit of nitroglycerin. They fill yeah, up the hole in the rock again, with the nitroglycerin, then they leg it away. This hole. And then, in an unusual mood, in an unusual move, rather, just as they've lit the fuse, <laughs> Bimba yells, "Shouldn't we cover the trucks?" And then Luigi just takes off to put <laughs> out the fuse like a lunatic. I didn't really understand. <laughs> he says, "I'm going to run back and try to blow out the fuse." Yeah, which, yeah. Uh, I mean, it like makes for chance. it makes for good tension, but a yeah, very poor but choice. But it did, it did make very for a stupid. very a, a nice tense moment. But it's like Jesus Christ, why the hell did you do that, moron? They blow up the boulder. Big celebration. All goes Celebrate fine. Good times. Nice. Come on. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then they continue driving. They move on. We see Luigi and Bimba in their truck. Bimba's shaving, and they're just having a nice little chat. And Bimba's explaining that yeah, good old uh, chat. His his father shaved before he was executed by the Nazis, so that's why he's shaving. So they're just suggesting that obviously they're facing certain death, or they're fairly fairly certain mm. that this is not going to end well. We cut back to Joe and Mario in their truck. And they're having a little chat, and then a massive explosion occurs. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that Luigi and Bimba's truck has blown up without warning, killing them both. And, and we don't it, see yeah. that. We don't. We don't see. We just see yeah. the. We hear the explosion, and then see, and then Mario and Joe drive back down to where it happened. Death off screen. Look at the pieces. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a tough one uh, for them boys. And then uh, Mario um, probably just manning up a little bit is like, well, yeah, they played the game. That's what happens kind of a thing. And then Joe is like, I can't believe you would say that about your friends like that. And it's like, Joe, you were pointing a gun in his yeah. guts in a bar and you poured champagne all over him and you're going to respect <laughs> him now that he's dead. Shut up, you bum. Um, Mario's kind of manning up a little bit at that point. Um, I think it's fair to say. And then when they get to the side of the blown up truck, uh, to be fair, even I, I feel bad for Joe in this bit. Oh, yeah. So the explosion of uh, Luigi and Bimba's truck has caused an oil pipe. It looks, I think it's an oil pipe, right? That seems to be the yeah, yeah, yeah. Pipe is running the whole way along the road. Right, so this oil pipe is ruptured and oil is spilling out. It looks kind of like mud. It's probably mud rather than oil, but it, apparently they say it's oil. Uh, so mm. the oil and mud is all mixed in together and it's created this sort of pool that they, they have to cross. And they start crossing the pool. Joe is outside the truck kind of guiding it across the pool and he is in the oily, watery mud and can't seem to move out of the way of the front of the truck. 
So Mario just decides to run him over <laughs> and kill him. <laughs> he runs over him. Basically his... kills him. Basically kills him, yeah. Basically, basically him. does kill him, yeah. So because and, uh, Joe is Joe is mortally wounded by from this experience. Yeah, because we just see Joe then put, uh, crawl out of this puddle, and his leg is basically a paper bag at this point. Yeah, he's been um, he's been squashed quite badly. Yeah. So then he yeah he he gets in the cabin with Joe with Mario Mario feeling a little bit bad, but not really that bad. And uh, then we've got we've got a lovely little metaphor because they start talking about Paris. And they're talking about this tobacco shop or something. <laughs> and, he, and he says, what was behind it? And he says, I don't think there was anything. I think there was just an emptied lot. Mm. He goes, what was behind it? And he says, there was nothing. <laughs> and Joe's what, like, there's what was, nothing. What was behind the empty, what was behind the empty lot? That's my there's question. Nothing, just, mm. Ah, but what was behind the nothing? Mm. Uh, didn't think about that. We're alone in the universe. Mm. A DVD of Sorcerer. Who knows? So, uh, But anyway... And then they, he dies. Joe dies. Yeah, Joe dies. Joe dies because Mario ran him over with a truck full of nitroglycerin. That is Mario's a scumbag. Yeah, driving around there, picking up mushrooms, picking up feathers, and then flying with his cape, doing all the Mario-related things that he enjoys. <laughs> you had uh, really lost me there for a second. Oh, yeah, I felt like I had to actually spell it out as I got towards the end of it. I mean, he's... <laughs> Wasn't a Super Mario World fan. Yeah, not getting this. Quite a long time ago. Um, um, so Mario alone makes it to the oil derrick, which is still on fire, which is impressive. It's nice. That's a really beautifully shot scene when he arrives. Yeah, it is. The, yeah. The fire. He, he gets out of his truck and falls down in front of the fire. And obviously this film is black and white, um, but that mm. scene is beautiful still even from 1953 looks great yeah but of course so he successfully it, it arrived can't end well and for all mario uh, all's, all's the, great it is a happy ending it's it's a happy ending for he, mario so he gets they give his him money a big pile and, of money and that's it that's the end that mario wins great and that's it nothing yeah. nothing else happens mario uses that money to open a plumbing business in japan and that's the end. <laughs> Good times all round. Just the na, song na. plays over the end credits. It goes did it did did it did did. So <laughs> then the after Mario has uh, successfully got all of his money and completed the job, word is sent back to Hernandez's bar that three of the guys have died, but Mario, Linda's true love, is still alive, even though he he treated Linda like absolute shit at all times. Mm. Uh, yeah, her pathetic character. He actually, as he was leaving the village, she, 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 she pops up to give him a kiss, and he, tr- he pushes her, yeah, yeah, and <laughs> he pushes her mud. onto the ground and drives away. <laughs> Oh yeah. my god! Like no, that's not enough just to ruin a relationship. You can get arrested for that. Um, but but their not, relationship not in, survives. Uh, not in Las Piedras this time. Not in that's bumblefuck. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so, then so they're all celebrating. He's, he's driving back in a truck. Gone down. With, <laughs> a truck without. Yeah, any and how is he driving back? How are Yeah, why? and he's he's just no, but he has like to drive, you, he has to drive a truck. Yes, but I'm back talking about town. Yes, I, mean, I know, why? but I'm talking about... No, no, I'm asking. No, I'm talking I'm asking about the why. way he's driving. 
Oh why yeah, why is he, is he driving, driving back like to the... a tall spaz? I can, to be honest, despite the fact that you got to see a big mad uh, truck go, that last sequence really takes me out of the movie. Uh, because first of all you have him just being happy as Larry and getting into his truck next he powers through the big oil puddle and all the boys applaud him and then uh, she uh, she puts on the blue Danube everybody in the bar back in Bumblefuck starts dancing and then he is basically zigzagging all over the road on purpose <laughs> in a celebratory manner and then well, pummels to his death like no, a the Corsican de- <laughs> the, the death pummeling is good but like yeah, it's, it's, al- it's almost like uh, it's almost surreal in the run-up to it. I mean, are, is that supposed to be real? <laughs> Everybody in that the, the Blue Danube. I don't get. I don't know. It's odd. It's a. It's a. It's a odd way to to wind it all up. Um, but isn't but that because in general? Isn't that because, like you said, isn't that like because after the lot or whatever, after the parking lot or whatever it was, they were they were talking about Paris. There's nothing there. So. I'm guessing also based on Georges Arnaud's life, he had a slightly negative mm. take on things. I'm assuming that this is how, or again, I haven't read the novel as I've read about three books in my life. So I'm assuming the I don't believe the novel. That. I'm assuming that the novel ends in a similar way, potentially, or maybe not. Who knows? There's no way to ever. Well, find the out. general the. The gist of the film just seems to be that men need quests or something. And then when those evaporate, you know, you got nothing else coming to you. You're like, even the Italian guy, that guy who hangs himself because he doesn't get to go to this, this war against nothing. Um, So Hmm. I like it. But I, I think the next film, which we watch, and I still want to talk a little bit more about this because Sorcerer was so maligned for having, you know, seen off uh, the age of the auteur in Hollywood. I suppose there's not so much work analyzing it, but I think Friedkin basically just went on, just decided to use his style to answer some of the questions you might have had about the wages of fear, to be honest, because that like, I think the ending is basically supposed to be nihilistic, but it just seems bizarre. Yeah, because how the ending plays out is after Mario has smashed into the ground and is clearly dead lying there in his broken truck, uh, the word fin (laughs) comes up on the screen. It's it's the end of the film. That's it. The end. Bye-bye. He's dead. I mean, that is slightly surreal. Like okay, when you're watching a film like this, you're you are making allowances for the the time it was made. And to be fair, I would imagine this film blew people the fuck away when it w- w- came out. And mm, um, there's nitroglycerin. Not, with nitroglycerin, but I mean, there's nothing like else. You, you. It made me really want to watch Les Diaboliques because right, just, that's the other famous Clouseau film. He also made a, a documentary about Picasso, which I didn't realize I had seen before. But yeah, I, I can't I can't remember who showed it to me one time, but it, it's very compelling. Um, but I just remember I just having watched this, I read his Wikipedia profile. And then there's a particularly memorable scene from this documentary he made about Picasso, where Picasso is painting on a paint of glass. And uh, I kind of looked it up and it turns out, yeah, so I, I have actually seen that. And it's particularly memorable for that. You, you can find that clip. Because right there's either. a small boy with his penis out. With his right? willy out, yeah. And um, mm. Picasso is painting the paint, the paint of glass so you can't look at the small boy's willy. 
um, which is only right, really. That is the earliest form of censorship that so, France... This film being famed for its tension, uh, did you find any sections of it particularly tense? I didn't really get the sensation, and I think partially I felt the same way about Sorcerer. I didn't really feel the tension that they could blow up at any point. It wasn't... I don't know, I, I didn't... I didn't feel the tension of them a little bit, I suppose, when they were going over the road, the poorly paved road at the first section of Wages of Fear. But I wasn't ever particularly concerned that they were just going to blow up. Did you think that Luigi was dead when um, he was lying on the road? Mm, I suppose so, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, when they blow up the, the rock uh, and Luigi runs back. Yeah, he ends up just lying there in the road, and then <laughs> turns out he's fine. And they're all laughing and celebrating, going "haha!" Player two still in the game. Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy the film? Did I enjoy the film? Yeah, I. It's <laughs> definitely. I mean, it is. It is a good film. I mm. I liked it, but all the time I kept thinking, "This is the south of France." I could see the seams because it's from 1953 as well. That's part of it. But. Well, a helpful, uh, a, a perfect segue will be to say there is no fucking way you're mistaking any many scenes in Sorcerer for the south of France. Right. That is 100% true. So, like, I want to, I'm going to give a wee bit of intro for this and <laughs> Hollywood in the early 1970s studio heads had completely gotten out of touch with their audiences and were looking upon the success of Easy Rider to think how the hell can we make a butt chunk of money on this generation let's get some crazy artists in here and see what they can do and it started working really William Friedkin managed to win Oscars for the French Connection um, and then went on to make The Exorcist uh, Martin Scorsese went from Mean Streets to Taxi Driver Francis Ford Coppola got to make The Godfather and The Conversation and everything it all came crashing down mainly because Steven Spielberg made a lot of money with Jaws George Lucas made a lot of money with Star Wars and then Martin Scorsese lost a lot of money with New York, New York. Francis Ford Coppola nearly bankrupted the studio with Apocalypse Now. Um, Heaven's Gate came out and collapsed everybody. And William Friedkin released, released Sorcerer, a film which cost twice as much as Star Wars on the same day as Star Wars. And just it was forgotten about instantly now sorcerer was released in 1977 it is freaking has kind of said that it's just a re-adaptation of the book wages of fear but to any cine literate person of then or now it just comes across as a remake the setup is pretty much the same but instead of arriving on the scene of the town and allowing the characters to develop themselves in dialogue with each other, we get these four little prologues. The film was written by Wallen, Waylon Green, I'm going to say. It was his yeah, name. I think it looks like it's Waylon, isn't it? Waylon Green, who also wrote... It's not going to be Wallon. Also wrote The, the Wild Bunch. And um, mm. yeah, they opt, they opt 
instead of like having the characters all, you know, like Hemingway types, basically, where you know absolutely nothing about them. They just arrive and you get to know them by way of their dialogue, as in The Wages of Fear, that film, uh, mm. we get our little prologues. Now, um, how did you feel about the prologues? In the first 10 minutes of this film, I was thinking, how okay, the fuck, how the fuck is this going to be a remake of Wages of Fear? <laughs> because <laughs> really? i was thinking like yeah because i i okay so i watched wages of fear first you watched sorcerer first mm-hmm. so my i my idea of the story the characters are already in shit town wherever central south america wherever so to see the characters introduced in their previous lives, in whatever they did before, that's what these prologue scenes are. It's just, it's very jarring for me because I'm thinking, well, I know that this ends with them driving trucks of nitro. So how the, where is this going? Okay. Did you find it? But did you enjoy them? Soon, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought they were amazing. I thought they were really well shot. Mm. Um, you you talked about the second scene before the bombing, yeah, in Jerusalem. Uh, you mentioned yeah, you've mentioned that before, and that is really uh, well shot. And as you say, you feel like you're you're you feel you understand what that place was like in the 1970s. You yeah, like these, I, I love that about the way Friedkin makes movies. Like in mm-hmm. French Connection, which is a New York movie, we're in Marseille for like 20 minutes of it. Right, we get to see Marseille in the 70s. Same yeah. in The Exorcist, you get to see Baghdad mm-hmm. in the fucking 70s. Right. And yeah, here we get we get to, first of all, we go to Veracruz in Mexico, which in it, in the briefest introduction, uh, which like we get to see just be, Nilo kill a guy who's this movie's version of Joe, just wander into a place and kill a fella who's drinking some whiskey. And um, that's it. We never really get to learn much more about this fella. Then we drop over to um, Jerusalem. I so wait, wait. So yeah, so this guy, this guy Nilo or Nilo, no one, no one ever says his name during the film, do they? No, 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 no. I I just got it off Wikipedia. Yeah, uh, the same. Because I'm I'm sitting here going. I assume it's Nilo. I'm guessing because he's supposed to be a Mexican hitman, apparently. Who knows? Casim uh, uh, yeah. uh, accuses him of being a Jew dog later in the movie, but um, yeah. But then I'd say Kassim just Kassim ac- accuses everybody, everybody of being that. militant. I'd say he calls his, his, his mother a Jew dog if she makes him the wrong breakfast. Anyway, yeah, so we get, we're, we're, we get to see Vera Cruz, and then we're over in Jerusalem, where we get to see Kassim and all of his buddies, dis, uh, disguised as Jews, blow up, something, blow up something near the Damascus Gate. Now... Right. This was a controlled explosion. I'm recently after reading a controlled explosion mm. that they had to do twice. That was that <laughs> that uh, smashed the mayor's windows because it took place yeah, within within six meters of them, which is <laughs> that will t- 
tend to happen? I th- I'm not an expert on glass uh, or explosions. Um, it was a controlled explosion. They ended up having to do it twice. And then the day that they were shooting in Jerusalem, an actual terrorist attack took place and uh, Friedkin took advantage of uh, yeah. people ru- running in panic and Perfect. shot that. <laughs> which that is does fair. not surprise me either. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you can hear the kind of crack he got up to back in the day. It's a, it's a good old explosion as well. It's, it's quite affecting. It's quite shocking. Anyway, yeah, Kesem gets away, watches his boys get arrested. Then next of all, we're in Paris getting introduced to Victor, who is basically the 1970s Parisian version of um, Jordan Belfort, it seems, who's just kind of... He's a bit of a, a bullshit artist again. Something like that. You can't tell exactly what he's done, but it seems that he is... He's committed Im- fraud. Fraud with his father-in-law's money. Mm-hmm. And he's in cahoots with his brother-in-law, trying to get out of it, the, trying to convince the brother-in-law to help him out. Uh, the brother-in-law, rather than helping him out, uh, shoots himself outside an amazing-looking restaurant, at which Victor does not even get to taste an entree, um, because he's got to bugger off to Bumblefuck, it South does America. Look like a nice place. It does look great, doesn't it? There's, there's Paris in the 70s for you, but then we have to bumble off to New Jersey, in the 70s, which looks uh, oddly like New Jersey now, to meet uh, Jackie, uh, Roy Scheider's character, who was supposed to be, he was supposed to be played about by about five different people before Roy Scheider. Yes. Uh, first well, choice, Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. Then offered to mm. Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson. Uh, Steve McQueen didn't want to shoot outside of America. He wanted, so, he wanted to get his uh, lady cast in the film as well. That's right, yeah. Uh, there was really no place for Ali McGraw in the world of no. Sorcerer, though, unfortunately. Far too pretty. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, as well, is like of all those leading men, Roy Scheider looks the most like an actual person. So, and he, like he's great for a close up. We get the, actually in his prologue, we get the first of many close ups. The, the, his prologue is the best as well. So it's him. Yeah, definitely. Him and some boys, he's a getaway driver robbing a, ch- robbing a church. And a priest Which gets is great. shot. Yeah, yeah. It's just, <laughs> Robbing a church is, uh, a, a, is a brilliant heist target. Indeed it is, yeah. Who's going to suspect you? Uh, and then they're booting it across town. And now I'm embarrassed for my countrymen during this because the Irish fuck it up, basically, ju- by just being too tribally Irish. And uh, shooting, uh, one of them mm-hmm. shoots the other in the car car ends up crashing a crash that took uh, 12 days and 10 takes to film properly and to be fair like with other things that you see in this film you would you don't notice it because you don't you don't <laughs> the money's on the screen is what i'm saying when people think of the right. money being on the screen nowadays they probably think of uh, michael bay crashing a million trucks together or mm-hmm. you know uh, lord of the rings computer-generated battles and stuff like this. But the fact of the matter is that back in the day, money being on the screen meant having an action movie where you actually had the things happen. Yeah. The the crash looks fucking great. It does. It looks In that time, they had to build stuff and they had to destroy it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, they they would have, if with 12 takes, they would have gone through 12 cars. Um. So, yeah, and then we get the first Roy Scheider close-up of the, of the piece where he wakes up in the car, just water uh, falling down on him, and he's waiting for the police to come along, and he has to limp away, which in what is a fantastic uh, shot and kind of, uh, kind yeah. of um, foreshadows the end of the film where he's stumbling into the oil uh, refinery because yeah. he's just uh, l- like limping away from the car crash. 
yeah, it's it's just brilliant stuff, and it's like instantly like wages of fear. Wages of fear suffers not just from watching sorcerer within close proximity of it, but watching sorcerer at all. And it's not really wages of fear's fault. It's just because I mean the cinematic landscape had just evolved so much. And then you had a firecracker like William Friedkin, who basically, if he found an idea that he could, in the 70s at least, and into the 80s, that he could enamel his kind of documentary filmmaking style onto and make it work. I mean, there's just no, mm-hmm. like, it's it's just going to be excellent. So then, yeah, we've got Roy Scheider who opts to get out of the country by meeting up with his dodgy friend Amigo. Amigo, Vinny. So far, we've got four guys. Nilo, who is Joe. <laughs> yes. Kasem is, uh, what's his name? Bimba. That means the Victor is Luigi and Roy Scheider, Jackie Scanlon. He's Mario. Yeah. I mean, it's kind yeah. of. Kind of, yeah. But he's not as kind much of a prick of. as uh, no, no, Mario. No, no. But he does end up having a similar kind of, uh, well, no, just his, I suppose, his, uh, Mario's relationship with Joe would have been kind of love-hate, whereas uh, Jackie's with Nilo, with Nilo is just a, just a hate-hate, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> until they all start working together. Now, the in order to properly sell the shithole of Wages of Fear, Clouseau showed us a little boy's penis. Uh, mm. But there is no need of a little boy's penis. In... Well, I was worried that there wasn't going to be a little boy's penis, but then there there was eventually. Freaking realized that that's what we needed. <laughs> yeah, they actually had to do reshoots for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Much like uh, the you know when they went back and um, remastered ET and changed the uh, handguns to walkie talkies, they went back mm. to Sorcerer and just changed a, a lady to an, a young boy's penis. Oh um, yeah. What about uh, Sorcerer's Linda? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's basically that's Vera Clouseau with the William Friedkin filter on. Yeah, like, she looks she, like Gollum. Oh, she's seen some living, like yeah, uh, uh, it's a yeah. lot more realistic. But that, yeah, that's the thing. We land in this. That's why. That's what I'm saying is like, yeah, the film techniques in Wages of Fear. All credit to them for what for what people were doing at the time. It was amazing. But then, just the, like the fact that by this point in filmmaking history, people had decided, no, let's make it look as fucking realistic as possible, and we just land in this actual shithole. Like it's just awful. You get to see. Will uh, Roy Scheider wake up? It's like he's waking up in a leopard colony. Uh, just loads of people groaning and shitting around him. Like, it goes to wash his face in a basin that looks like he's filled, I don't know, with somebody else's toothpaste water. It's a nightmare. It's just an awful, awful place. Uh, we see... Um, but they Victor, also have uh, boy penises, though. They do have boy so, penises. You know, I mean, it's not all bad. Exactly, yeah. Victor manage Victor gets some eggs in the bar where there seems to be a man dead on the bar. Classic. Yeah, so this place is called Porvenir. Porvenir. And it is poor mm. indeed. Um Yeah. Does the this seems to follow just a lot of the same beats as Wages of Fear, but just more textured, more realistic. So yeah, we get to see yes. so there we get and to shorter see, as well. 
Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, much shorter because we've we've gotten to know the boys in their prologue, so we don't need them. Well, I mean, this film is a, a half an hour shorter than Wages of Fear as well. Yeah, um, is a, always a benefit. Yes, gets an extra star for that. So the there's also a German there who's just definitely a Nazi. He is a Nazi. Or no, according to the Wikipedia plot summary, presumably a Nazi. Ah, oh no, yeah. that's Marquez. So the wait, the other guy yeah, wasn't Marquez, isn't he? He's yeah, he's like a no, but the other wait, uh, Marquez isn't the bar owner, is he? I'm I'm not sure, but because Marquez, Marquez no, is no, 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 no. Marquez, go on. Marquez is the guy who's originally selected for the job. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, but he's not the bar owner. That's okay. the guy. Well, I mean, yeah, but there is a... There are are multiple Nazis to go around. Sure, South America in the 70s, what else would you be doing? So, yeah, then uh, this German, uh, Marquez, not his real name, and Kassem get friendly. It is my real name. I can't do a German accent, I realise. Him and Kassem presumably bonding over Semitism. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there we are. Just try- there's pictures of this fake dictator all over the place on the walls. There's uh, a very some brutal scenes going on after the oil well explodes. Oh well, yeah, but I mean, let, I mean, if ever there's a like, that's where the money is on the screen. That fucking so that yeah. W- mm-hmm. Once we've gotten to know the town, I think. One like the for me the pinnacle of its shitholdness is when Scanlan gets picked up for his papers. He gets taken into the police station. You just see some <laughs> naked dudes passed out on the ground as cells. It's horrific Classic, looking. Yeah, you see some guys' arse. And then there are uh, kind of like I I'm going to call them the black guy Gestapo hanging out outside. Did yeah, you notice them? That's a bit weird. Yeah, it is, isn't it? The, the kind of like, grassing people up. Uh, black lads in black shirts and red ties, and yeah. It's odd. That's, a, that, that's an odd one. Uh, so w- then we've got to know the town and then we get to see the oil well explosion. And it's just Jesus Christ. Mm, like, it's a the, nice one. That's where the that's like it reminded mm. me of like, you know, Tropic Thunder, <laughs> just the pyrotechnics. Like, it's just yeah. insane. The, like, the, like <laughs> what do we do if we want to have a film about, you know, an oil well exploding? I presume we'll just blow an oil, blow up an oil well. <laughs> blow up an oil well. Yeah. Oh my God. It's a, it's crazy good. Good. I mean, impressive. But yeah, no, it's amazing to look at. And then another example of that is, so if we've got Clouseau's riot versus Friedkin's riot in the town. Oh God, yeah, Freakin's Riot is another seven levels above. Yeah, it's ju- it's just outrageous. Like it's violent, it's disturbing, it's claustrophobic. Uh, you mm-hmm. it, you get to see like a burnt corpse being lowered off a van. Yeah. Lads go with riding, his eyes still intact. Lads riding into town on horses, just beating the shit out mm-hmm. of of uh, peasants. I for and one of a better word, dragged off of their house, their horses, uh, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> how do, how do to go people do things, that uh, in the best method? No, but I mean, like shoot films like that. Go to the nineteen seventies and work with an auteur. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, apparently he wasn't the most pleasant fellow to work for back in the day. Yep. All right. So then. We've got our big owl explosion, we've got our riot, and then we have our helicopter flight where we can see the smoke trundling up in the air for miles around, um, which is just, I mean, it's just 
more amazing shooting going on here. Mm-hmm. And then we get taken into the most dangerous shack in the world. Because it's got some nitroglycerin in it. And having watched Wages of Fear, I know what that can do. Exactly. And you've got our weird gatekeeper fellow with his nice shirt. If any, if I want to be anybody in this world, it's that guy. You know the I guy I'm talking be, about? I want to be Linda. You want to be like Linda Gollum, Linda? Yeah, I want to be Gollum, Linda. Because she knows. She knows what life's all about. Indeed. She can't, she, no one's going to, nothing's going to disappoint her, is it? Oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm now, I've just pulled up the film and I'm looking at that guy's shirt. Wow, it's nice. It's a kind of very small dots, kind of polka dot. Uh, looking and he's got what he looks like a young Luis Guzman or something. All right, so then we've got our trials to uh, the trials to be the the driver to uh, the mechanic montage, um, mm, where very, very similar to Wages of Fear. Uh, yeah, the mechanic montage, though, is not when we get to no, see them putting, the, putting putting their the trucks together. together. Yeah, that's it, similar to the A team. I think it's similar to, it reminded me of Robot Wars. That too. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a niche reference there. Nice crisp uh, Robot Wars reference for you there, folks. Then we're all about to set off. And so the four guys that have been selected is Jackie Scanlon. This is like the X Factor. Jackie Scanlon, Victor. Oh, fingers crossed. I hope it's me. Kasem and Marquez. Mm -hmm. Hey, where you at, Marquez? Where you at? Oh, Marquez is dead in his room. Because Nilo killed him, and then at this because is the point, Nilo is a Sicario, something like that. Yeah. Well, but Kasem calls him a Jew dog. He says the, the Jew dog cut his throat. As you say, I think Kasem sees Jew dogs everywhere. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Then they all get together and kind of demand a pay rise because they're like, yeah, there's two trucks in case one of them dies. And then the you know the, the sorcerer's version of Bill O'Brien just says. Uh, yeah, you're going to be leaving at four in the morning because you know what I mean? Like, ugh, desperate, like, you know, desperate lads are desperate. Like this guy knows these are in, these fellows have said yes to this job and thereby said no to any position of negotiation. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's basically like saying I am desperate. So their first leg of the, so, uh, like beautiful shooting as well when they um, sort of leave the village at dawn and it just, it yeah, really and does. All of, and and this is one hour into a two-hour film. Mm. So we're already halfway through the film by the time they even start their journey. And it looks like they're heading off into Middle Earth. Like, yeah, that, it's this nice is a fi- green and luscious. <laughs> just, I love, like, I, I love any film like this that just makes you kind of remember when the world was big. Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't yeah. even seem like they're on the same planet as the town of Ennis County Clare when I, where I grew well, up. I tell you one solution to that. Turn off your internet and throw away your phone and I guarantee the world will become big again. Well, I, I recently watched the documentary The Social Dilemma and I might do that. Mm. Yeah, then we, so on our first leg of our journey, we just get loads of close-ups of wheels and reversing and lads looking out and I immediately, as I was watching them do this, I was thinking to myself, my God, I would watch like 
it's a pity the the way this movie ends because I would watch a film series of this just like da- like the dirty dozen of DIY just these four boys going off to do like I don't know <laughs> just want to watch trucks reversing yeah I would watch that man like dangerous JCB because I you know I used to love shows like fucking um, deadliest catch or uh, ice road truckers shit like that I I yeah. would watch I used to watch that shit all day. So I was watching this going, oh, my God, a fictionalized version of that would be great. And I was right, clearly, because uh, okay. this. What did you make of the. Oh, yeah. So then Roy Scheider and um, Nilo, who are coupled up, run into this um, indigenous family. And uh, <laughs> this wee indigenous fella starts acting the clown. What did like you make a really of this? Nice guy. What did you make of that sequence? What was what was freaking trying to to say here? Was it just that he felt he should put something like that in to kind of keep some similarity with Wages of Fear, or was this even in the novel or or something? I just thought it was just gas. I, thought, I just thought it was really funny. Yeah, I guess it's just trying to show like how stressed they are and having to deal with some guy kind of joking around. When they're in a truck full of nitroglycerin that could explode at any second. Is it the sort and of thing that people would say is racist nowadays? Maybe, but then again, I mean, I don't know. They're driving a truck of nitroglycerin through an area that appears to still have kind of tribal families living on it. Mm. Indigenous uh, people. So it's not great, is it? <laughs> But then that's the fault of the oil company, which yes. the sorcerer is called. Can't remember, but I do the know they've oil got... oil company. They, but they have the logo of Gulf Western, which was owned by uh, Paramount, which was uh, William Friedkin having a dig at his uh, studio. And then he acted surprised mm-hmm. and hurt when he found it difficult to get work for years. Yeah, don't fuck the gatekeepers, Friedkin. That's all I have to say to you. Then we got a creaky bridge with a bit of dry rot, and uh, then we arrive at a muddy junction in the middle of the woods where you're just watching them going, what's the fucking point? Just, I just see Roy Scheider get out of his truck in the pissing rain. He looks like um, Humphrey Bogart's character from Treasure of Sierra Madre, just drenched and having a horrible time just looking around, just going, I'm Jackie Scanlon. I'm from New Jersey, where there are nice sandwiches, and here I am in the middle of a fucking jungle in the pissing rain with some Sicario scumbag. What's the fucking point? Yeah, there's not even a Luigi. That's the problem. Yeah, there's, there's no Luigis no, in this film. No, there's no just like he's just there looking at scummy Nilo. Every every everyone is a Mario, and no one is a Luigi here. Yeah, I think that's I think that's basically the metaphor that. Friedkin was trying to employ just life in general. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like the 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 Nintendo company will try to sell you some reality where there are Luigi's, but no, no, we're all just Mario's and Wario's, and the fucking and the princess has a mustache. Again to the Wario's, Jesus. The princess has a mustache. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, um, and uh, Victor's a real stickler for the map, of course. He's the, down. He's down the back with uh, Kasem, who he's automatically decided he's the boss of. Which uh, Kasem initially is not happy about, but then realizes Victor seems to be making a, a better boss than he would. 
So he goes along with it and he'll, he'll take orders. Then we get the famous uh, bridge sequence, which is, I mm. mean, it is just, I mean, you you said you didn't feel a particular amount of tension okay, well, in either film, but this is... No, no, this one is, that this is clearly another level beyond anything that Wages of Fear could hope to do, but it's not really a fair comparison or competition. Yeah, the, the bridge scene, just torrential rain the elements against you and then a tree <laughs> mm. against you i mean it's just it's crazy everything that's going on while they're trying to cross this bridge so do you know anything about how difficult this was to shoot i understand that it took a long time well they had to go to three different rivers and cost a lot of money yeah and uh, they eventually ended up shooting it in mexico is my understanding um, they the because most of the movie was to be shot in the Dominican Republic, but mm. um, this they got a record low rainfall on the river where they wanted to shoot it just dried up, so couldn't do. It. But the bridge itself was like um, mechanical, it's electronic, made to look rickety, but would move in any way they wanted it to with hydraulics and so forth. Like it's just, I mean, I've said it before, I'll say it again, but it, just the the money's just all there on the screen, but not in a Star Wars way. So it's difficult to recognize it. But like, I suppose to you know anybody who takes more than a halfway of a glance at at cinema will just look at that that scene in particular and go, oh, like it's not like. Like okay, you watch the the French Connection, and you you could be fairly certain ah he just found dirty areas in New York and shot there. But it's like there's no making up a bridge like this and running a a truck over it if you no, know. You had to actually find a bridge like this and just figure out the mechanics of how you were going to get the shots you wanted to look this mm. chaotic. It's just outrageous. And then you got Kassem basically looking like he's just going to get plowed over by Victor in a truck and then cut to sunshine. Yay. They did it. They made yeah. it across. Everything's going to work out fine. I feel pretty positive this time. Uh, so then we get to the log in the middle of the woods, which is a boulder in Wages of Fear. Um, it's a lot, it seems a lot easier to blow up a log in a jungle than a boulder at the bottom of some mountains. That's fair. It's also easier because these guys don't have a jewel. No, they have a Palestinian terrorist <laughs> instead. Who's able to utilize his bomb-making skills in blowing mm, up the freaking useful. log. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, I mean, Kissem nails it. Uh, Kissem is the does. one who figures it out. And uh, yeah, this is Friedkin's Metaphor Emerges, part one, which is... We've all got to work together, folks, if we want to get out of here alive. <laughs> if we want a free Palestine, <laughs> we all need to work together. Uh, it is great, though. It's, it's the kind of action movie I, lo I love. Okay, here I go. I'm going to say it. Have you ever seen All is Lost? Yes, finally. Yes, I've seen that. <clears throat> okay, so right. That, that kind of action movie where uh, it's not... Yeah. It's yeah. All, all is lost is only ninety minutes long. I remember because five stars. Yeah, you exactly five stars. But you feel those ninety minutes because it's Robert Redford being tortured yes. for the entire running time. There's a great part of that movie sea. where he just yells out "fuck" and you just really yeah. you're you're there with him. You're just <laughs> like yes, fuck. Yep. Yeah. 
The same uh, way that I don't want to transport nitroglycerin through uh, a jungle is why I don't want to sail by myself through shipping lanes on the other side of the world or wherever. Yert. Amen to that. Anyway, they end up, they blow up this log successfully. They're out of there. Thank the, thank Jesus, And then all, oh, all they're going to make it. They're going to make it except Victor and Kasem blow sky high. Um, Which I definitely like the way that this was dealt with in Sorcerer rather than Wages of Fear. Oh yeah, it's shot really well. You just see a bump in the road. You, you cut to a nice little, just the tire exploding. The two of them look at each other, you, wide, uh, wide God's eye shot of them just trundling off the road and then just explosion. It's great. Yeah, you you also see happens the in nitro, seconds. <clears throat> you also see the nitro um, sliding forward mm. as so, well, yeah. and then yeah, it's, it's very effective. And when the boys come al- uh, come upon it, there's barely anything left of them, and then they get set upon <clears> by. <throat> Who I lads who I can only assume are members of the FARC. Yeah, they do look uh, vaguely Colombian terroristy. Yeah, and that, that that's uh, we're almost there, and that that's when Nilo buys it. He gets sh- does he get sh- no? He doesn't. Does he get shot? By Nilo them does mm-hmm. because he kills two of them, and then uh, Roy Scheider kills the other one. But Nilo gets shot while he's doing that. Nilo does quite well actually. Because he's playing that he's a bit feeble, but then it's clear that it's all just a ruse. And he's planning on murdering these militia guys who've pulled him over. You don't get to be, uh, you know, uh, an internationally renowned Sicario, which I assume he is, by just sitting, mm-hmm. twiddling your thumbs. Uh, then Roy Scheider arrives to another planet for a few minutes yeah he seems to be on the moon which is impressive yes and this is then he just drives around there talking to himself for a few minutes um and the tangerine dream score has never seemed more at home and uh it it feels like a horror film at that point well i mean yeah it is i mean this is where the, again, the Friedkin metaphor sort of comes home to roost. He's just basically at the center of his own psychology. Just It's basically him versus him at this point. Nilo has bought it as well. And also then the truck runs out of fuel. So he has to basically walk the nitroglycerin, which is, again, this is kind of a shooting directly borrowed from Wages of Fear. But the final se- mm-hmm. the fi- the, this final sequence when he arrives to the oil well is, is beautiful. It's amazingly yeah. shot. Except um, this time it's in color. Which is obviously miles better, plus it's half an hour shorter. So, you know, five stars. Yeah, and he eventually the gets ending. there and he just falls down asleep. Now, the ending. This ending, despite the fact that it doesn't have a truck smashing off a cliff, what do you make of this ending? So I think it's just showing another element of that it's not that it's not like mario dying because he's being a knob and driving dangerously i think it's still showing that ultimately well there were consequences for roy scheider <laughs> jackie i couldn't think of his character name there are there are consequences uh for what jackie has done and there's no happy ending for any of these people. 
Mm. That's uh, was one of the things. Just the uh, your fate pursuing you was like a sorcerer. That was kind of one of the mm-hmm. one of the reasonings uh, Friedkin gave behind the title. But yeah, it's just a grim ass ending, and then you just. Uh, but just before the ending, he I th- and I think this is like a kind of a a direct nod to Wages of Fear. But again, through the the freaking filter, you've got Roy Scheider dancing with Gollum Linda. Yeah, Linda. <laughs> um, it's terrible that we're calling her that. This poor woman. Who knows where she's probably dead now, isn't she? Know. Oh, every shockingly, pretty much everyone in this film is dead. I mean, clearly everyone in Wages of Fear is dead, but more or less everyone in Sorcerer is dead, except for William Friedkin. Good on you. Outlive them all. Mm-hmm. So this film was crushed at the box office by um, Star Wars. And I, I watched this like too long ago in, in Phenomena and... Uh, it's a, a very uh, popular revival cinema in Barcelona. And just me and the kind of film nerds that were queuing up to watch this on a Sunday morning, just, it felt like, <laughs> it felt like, okay, it's good that Sorcerer is still being so shown on screens. I love Sorcerer, but I do not want to live in a world where Sorcerer connects with people like Star Wars connected with people. Do you know what I mean? It's such a cynical, nihilistic film. I, okay, we've got a few things to say. First of all, Mm. what would have been a better title? Would a better title have made the film more successful? Well, that's one of the things that people have blamed uh, its failure on, is that nobody could make sense of the title. Um, Nobody knew quite how to market it. Another thing is that um, Friedkin had made a lot of enemies at the studio, but then the other thing is that <laughs> I think th- I think the reason that it wasn't successful is plainly that it just opened up next to Star Wars. I think that's it. Maybe they should have called it Star Wars. <laughs> it may be. It would but, have I mean, been one of the most successful um, series of films ever made. But like, I mean, have you ever watched the making of Star Wars? I forget the name of yes. it. It's there's a there's a, a you know a more artistic name. Was for that it. the one that came out around the time when George Lucas was redoing the films of the yeah. in the late nineties? Yeah, yeah. So he basically wrote that according to the instructions of Joseph Campbell on how to connect right, okay. with everyone in the world, and it really really worked, and it did. And I, I love Star Wars, the original trilogy at least. I I love them, um, and. Sorcerer like will will connect to you, but just not in that feely sort of way. So sorcerer will it connects more to the thing that you know to the part of yourself that might uh, get its chance to speak when you're walking home alone in the dark and there's somebody walking behind you in an alleyway, you know. Yeah, but who I I can't think of a better title. Characters are you? I would say you you would have to be Jackie Scanlon for all the Irish connections. I Indeed, I am definitely Jackie Scanlon. I am. I'd say. I think I'm Victor. You think you're Victor? Why? Hmm. Well, I don't know if I'm a Jew dog or not, but I don't see myself as uh, a Mexican hitman or a Palestinian bomber. Hmm. I think you're a bit of a Linda. <laughs> That's quite true. Nowadays, <laughs> certainly. The sun has been unforgiving on my skin. I can tell you used to be beautiful. 
Yeah. How old do you think Linda is? 12? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> In this time. <laughs> Poor veneer. I... Actually, when Nilo arrives over, he seems to, like he does. Yeah, this actually, this is one thing I have to ask about. When Nilo arrives. <laughs> I like that you're whispering this. Are you getting in trouble? I might be. When Nilo arrives, he bribes somebody to make a stopover in this village. So he actually wants to end up here, it seems. These, this is some of the rewriting of Wages of Fear that I don't understand, is why is Nilo there? Yeah, and why did he bribe to get off the plane when mm-hmm. your your man says to him, this is a stopover, you can't, and then he just bribes him <laughs> to get off and stay? I don't understand. Because that clear. just feels like it's been lifted from Wages of Fear, but without any of the character explanation or background. What you make of the Tangerine Dream score? Great. I was listening it. I was listening to it today, uh, walking on my way to work, and I saw a truck reversing while I was listening to it. And that was very uh, evocative. And did you give the did you give the the driver a knowing nod and say to him, I, "I'm listening to Tangerine Dream"? <laughs> no. What I did was I lied. To, I, I I lay down on the ground and <laughs> let him run me over. <laughs> That seemed appropriate. Oi. But Tangerine Dream, lovely yeah. uh, soundtrack. Have you, have you seen any of the other films that they worked on? Quite possibly. What were some of them? Did they do the soundtrack to Ant-Man versus... Did they do Ant-Man <laughs> and the Wasp? <laughs> I don't, no, but... I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> what about Captain Marvel? I, I, I have, I don't know if I told you, but I did eventually recently uh, catch up with Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, <laughs> and uh, I found it, I just, I found it funny because I, I, can't, I can't remember the name of the director of those films now. Um, uh, Peyton, Peyton Reed. Yeah, Peyton Reed. Peyton Reed, I can just imagine him like asking Kevin Feige, like, do we have to bring it out this year? And he's like, yeah, everybody wants to see an Ant-Man movie. He's like, they, do, they don't. They, <laughs> Kevin, they don't. You just brought out, in, you've got a Spider-Man. Look, can we just, can we can we be a TV show? Can we be, a, no, every, you got Paul Rudd. Everyone wants to see an Ant-Man movie. Peyton, I'm Kevin Feige. I think I know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, compared to uh, all the other Marvel that was happening that year, it's such a non-event. So, the one what? thing I wanted to say was, of all the films that we've watched so far, I'm really glad that I saw Sorcerer more than any other, and I'll definitely rewatch it. Oh, yeah. It's just, um, well, it's just fucking terrific, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great film. I don't uh, know why it took me this long to watch it. And it's also, just, like, people... <sighs> have given it all sorts of have given all sorts of nonsense reasons for its failures and you can find heaps of essays online most of them like just touting what a great film wages of fear is in and like as a means to kind of shit on sorcerer at the same time um like yeah yeah what is it it like there's a essay by Dennis Lehan opens like when i was 12 i saw the unfortunate american remake sorcerer which like but he doesn't mean unfortunate like unlucky he means like oh that's right, unfortunate uh, but like i don't know where people are are getting this from i think basic i like i think 
people have opted to lump it in with um, New York, New York and Heaven's Gate and stuff like that. But this is based on what people had come to love about Friedkin's films from his previous two. This is just kind of, I mean, it is a bit of a a magnum opus in that regard. It's just taking elements of all of them and just giving you this really just tight, thriller but on a more global scale than he had been working before it's fantastic i be, i think it's just down to the fact that it happened to come out with a film that would shift the global landscape of cinema the same week you know emmanuel emmanuel i was reading yeah no I'm just, that was the that was that was the film that was the 70s film that the reshaped uh, <laughs> the global cinematic landscape. of course yes of course classic sylvia cristal I think I read, I was just thinking one of the three books that I read in my life uh, <laughs> was that Easy, what's it Riders called? Raging Riders Bulls. Raging Bulls. Mm. I feel like that has a long section or is the entire book about 70s cinema. Yes. Yeah, because that I read about Sorcerer enough that the way it was described in the film, I feel like made me not want to watch in the book. it. I, it wasn't possible to watch it then because it was re it was released yeah, in yeah, 2014, it was, right? It was. Yeah. But that's, that's the thing about that, that writer, Peter Biskind, he later kind of admitted that, um, in writing about Hollywood cinema, he also similar, he simultaneously became a bit of a gossip columnist and he, like mm-hmm. he took back a lot of it. Like he basically in that book, he will, Anything that like sort of lost money, he just will unload on it like it was a piece of shit. But for example, Dennis Hopper's film, uh, The Last Movie, about uh, an injured stuntman from a Western being shot in Peru who ends up staying around the town and then the locals start a cargo cult based on a film crew like that's actually it's it's a mad film but it's a great film i mean genuinely it's just it's just absolutely demented but it's like you know peter biskind makes out that it's completely illegible and he says pretty much the same thing about sorcerer and for me as well i ended up not watching that for a long time until i got really into uh, friedkin movies i bought the his book the friedkin connection off um a, a fellow who owned a local um, video store in uh, the town where I went to university, and your man says the guy, the guy, like insisted on giving me an old DVD of uh, Sorcerer, and that was the first. Uh, this was a double-sided DVD. I don't know have you ever experienced those, but like you no. know, basically you get to midway through the movie, and it'll just the DVD player automatically ejects, and you have to turn it around. I have never encountered any yeah, of those my back first, in the days of my first Goodfellas DVD was that as well, just to mm-hmm. flip it over. But that's how I ended up seeing it for the first time, and I I remember being really annoyed at the book Easy Riders Raging Bulls because I felt I'd been completely missold on Sorcerer. I like you know they it pretended like it was a giant piece of shit. I've never gotten around to watching Heaven's Gate, and I don't know will I ever. I Me mean either. it's it's very long. Yep, that was, I was, I haven't watched New York, New York either. I feel like all of these things in my mind, they occupy this space, which was like the death of the auteur movement and where studios became more, they played it safe and started releasing 
things that were more Jaws driven too. by Star Wars rather than Sorcerer, let's say. Uh, have you have you seen? Um, no, the of course you haven't, but you might have. Uh, well, the the that's... Deer Hunter. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, but like the Deer Hunter. I mean, if ever there's a film to indicate to you that um, you should watch or you should watch, keep an eye on this guy who's made this movie because he's essentially the the wedding. Uh, yes, this, I don't need one hour of a Russian wedding. Yeah, you've basically given me this couple's wedding video at the start of your war movie <laughs> yes. there, sir. <laughs> I don't know why you've a done hour, that. A one hour Russian wedding uh, in Pennsylvania. And then... Robert De Niro's Willie. Well, that's important, clearly. And then smash cut to a prisoner of war camp in Vietnam. Did he know? Hmm. Did he know? Well, I'm very glad that you're glad you've seen Sorcerer now. I'm actually well, I'm glad, glad that you're glad. I'm glad that you suggested it in response to Wages of Fear because it was really interesting yeah, to, wa- to watch the two of them together. Um, it was really yeah. interesting just to see, like, no matter how good of a film people were capable of making back then, just it's it's almost like with Still with fo- like with football players, you can get like like the a mid level football mid level football player from these days could probably run rings around the likes of Georgie Best or Pele, and it's just because yeah, they'd be a lot faster anyway. Yeah, exactly. Just just developments in the game. And it's just like, yeah, no matter what kind of pure hearted artistic in, intent Clouseau had in him, uh, just cinema had just d- d- developed in in such a like in such a it had developed so massively by the time they got around to making Sorcerer. And one of the mm. people who had helped develop it happened to be William Friedkin. So, I mean, it didn't it didn't really stand a chance. And looking at it now, with me on the Wikipedia page, the fucking, I've got to get a copy of that poster. That poster is fantastic. What's on the poster? Is it uh, a it's boy the, penis? It's a little boy's willy. Mm. <laughs> it's just, I think it's a little boy. I hope it's not a man. I might get that. It's just shaved his tattoo. pubes. Yeah. That, now... Comes the the age old question: uh, A, do Who's you have a coin? And uh, B, I I have a coin actually. If I you... have a coin as well, but I feel like I should toss because I think you've tossed the last I did couple. I uh, I may have but, whatever. Uh, what are you bringing to the table this week? Well, I've uh, decided to go slightly down market, and I believe you have as well because I've chosen 2009's The Land of the Lost. The adventure comedy with Will Ferrell and Danny McBride, which was a box office and critical bomb with seven Razzie nominations, winning seven. Hmm. I know. I'm sure you're looking forward to watching this, but it's got Danny McBride in it. Kenny fucking Powers. How bad can it be? I want to find out. Well, I wonder, can it be as bad as the sequel to 2000's Pitch Black? A uh, fantastic horror, a uh, space yeah, horror like movie by David Tuohy, uh, which I went yeah. to see in the cinema years and years Me ago, too. and uh, never got around to watching its sequel, The Chronicles of Riddick. Which, like, even looking at the poster of it now, I've no idea how the hell they managed to get away with making that. Uh, but we might well find out, depending on who wins this fucking coin toss. Okay, so your options are. That germ, the Brandenburg Gate or whatever it is, German Gate thing, or 20? Um, I will take the Brandenburg Gate, please. Here we go. And the answer is Gate. 
Congratulations. Outstanding in a field. Time. All right. And uh, we're um, so to the back of the line where it belongs goes the land of the lost. What are, what's the wine pairing with this? Well, seeing, <laughs> I think you might know where this is going because seeing as we've both watched Pitch Black and neither of us has seen Chronicles of Riddick, I'm guessing that neither of us has seen 2013's Riddick, the third installment in the Riddick film series. No, I haven't. Well, you're going to. <laughs> oh, you wanted Riddick? How about all the Riddick? You see, the thing is, it's stuff like this that, like, I would like to. I would like to say, like, you know, pretentiously, I would imagine to myself that I got into this podcast to eventually make my way through the French New Wave, but. Getting through Riddick is the real reason, if I'm honest. So I'm glad we're doing this. We'll get around to all the Predators soon, I hope. Um, I don't but, know about you, but I am 100% going to uh, drive a truck full of nitroglycerin rather than watch either of these Riddick films. Um, no, I'm kind of looking forward to them. Um, but I do... As you say, it is ticking something off off the list. Yeah, um, but I do like. I do feel in particular. I mean, there's now. To be fair, a few years back, I watched Waterworld again, and I was like, "This is nowhere near as everybody lets on." But I do have a feeling that there's that <laughs> Chronicles. There's no way Chronicles of Riddick can be good. I'll be happy to be proven wrong. Um, and I actually, I'm lucky enough in that I've actually, um, I've no idea actually or any of the stories connected whatsoever, but I have uh, very recently watched Pitch Black, actually, because the Empire podcast uh, did a retrospe- retrospective spoiler special on it and I wanted to check it out. Okay, so we'll do some ridicking. Sweet as, man. All right, well, uh, until uh, next time, until that auspicious occasion, it's goodbye from myself, Donna Kiernan. Goodbye. And uh, yeah, goodbye from me.